Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Besides Jameis Winston, what is the most intriguing story for the Bucks heading into training camp? And in one word, can you describe the Rays season? Will Eric Carlson finally be dealt to the Tampa Bay Lightning? And who do you like to win the Open Championship across the pond? We'll tackle all those questions and more on this Thursday edition, our mailbag edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get started, let me tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and you get a free 30-day trial. That's a $15 value right there. And as a listener to this show, you also get a free audiobook. Now, here's what you do. Go to audibletrial.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. So, Steve, I woke up this morning. I looked at the calendar. This sounds like a song. Woke up this morning. I looked at the calendar, and what are we now? Just days away, next Tuesday, the rookies report. Five days. Next, next Monday, I think it is. The 23rd. Or Monday, four days then. Yeah, the 23rd, they report to training camp. And two days later, on the 25th, the veterans, the full squad is there. And the next day, on the 26th, we have our first practice. Eee! One I'm week from you, the first practice. One week. One week from today. And, and, I, and, and, and without fail, this has happened to me for more years than I can count. Um, I get to this part uh, of my life where I know that the next full six months is going to be a six to seven day a week grind, and I start to shake. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot hold my hand out straight uh, without going. You get me. You know, no matter how much recharging you do, no matter how far away you travel, no matter how much vacation you take, and I take a lot of vacation because I get a lot of vacation. You are never ready for the start of the NFL season. It is both exhilarating and just completely overwhelming at the same time. And I can well imagine what these players must be thinking because they're about to go out there in the, you know, 115-degree heat index and die, um, you know, for the next six weeks just to get to the starting line of uh, the regular season. Yeah, but their paychecks are much bigger, so. They are once they make it there. They're not not as big in training camp. But, you, you know, for the ones that know what's coming, sure, uh, for the ones that are trying to, you know, fulfill their dream, and, and most dreams will die. They have a 90-man roster. 53 will make the regular team, um, and then you'll have eight practice squad players. So you're really trying to make the top 61. But, man, it's such a grind, and it's here, and uh, and we'll, we'll have it all for you, of course, and um, both in the Tampa Bay Times, and this podcast is going to blow up, so that part's good. But, oof, it is here, man. Football is back. In fact – on this day, that as we as we do this podcast um, and prepare it for Thursday, the Baltimore Ravens are the first team that has uh, arrived in camp. Yeah, why are they so early? By the way, the Hall of Fame game. They they're a week early because of the Hall of Fame game. That makes. Sense. I guess I'm assuming they'll get more time off during training camp then, or more off. Uh, days. No, not necessarily. You just play okay. five. You just play the extra game. It's just that you you can go two weeks before your first game. Okay. Um. So that's that's sort of the rule. But uh, yeah. So here we are. Amazing. Football's back. It is back, baby. Back and better than ever. Well, let's start the mailbag with a football question then. 
Okay. Ellis asks, if we didn't have the Jameis situation, what would be the most intriguing story heading into Bucks training camp? And P.S., when can I order my Stroud against the World shirt? You know what? I am actually going to ask the NFLPA if they can order one for me. Um, we are not members of that union, but um, it's too bad there isn't like Marcus Stroud still in the league from Jacksonville. You know, I could just maybe <laughs> steal his. I'm gonna I'm gonna comb the rosters and make sure there's not my namesake someplace. I'll never be able to get a Versnick against the World Shirt in that situation. <laughs> Probably not, but uh, man, it would be it would be really cool to have. And and apropos at the same time. I don't know, but I, when I find out, you'll find out. How's that? Because I, I will pursue it or just maybe have one made up myself, I guess, and then uh, me and Jameis can be photographed together. But uh, well, what message are you think, sending with that shirt? Uh, I'm sending I'm sending the, the, the same message, I think, which is literally I am against the world. <laughs> I like the ones that people say that Tom Jones – Tom Jones just had one. What was it, Tom Jones against the Tampa Bay, yeah. <laughs> Tampa Bay sports teams or something <laughs> like that? Which is not true because he loves the lightning. Loves the lightning. Come on. Um, anyway, we got a lot of a lot of questions, and, and that's the first one. So let me let me try to think about this here in, in a couple seconds. Look, Jameis is going to be all encompassing, right? And and my um, my storylines without Jameis uh, are difficult to kind of try to think about right now. Only in that Jameis is now it would affect Fitzpatrick. But okay, so if none of that happened, if 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 he had not been suspended and we were going into the regular season, um, I think the Bucks' defense is the biggest story. Um, you know, when you look at what they've done uh, to the defensive line, when you you know trying to figure out what the rotation is going to be, trying to figure out you know how Mike Smith is going to rebound from the worst defense in the National Football League, um, put together the rotation, and then also who's going to be the corner that starts opposite Brent Grimes with Harm Graves. Who are they going to be the two safeties? We know Justin Evans will probably be one. Um, just how good this defense uh, can be, is it on paper or is it actually going to start to show itself on the football field? And so uh, without saying one individual player, I mean, I think Jason Pierre-Paul is the key. Um, and Vita Vea is certainly going to help uh, as a rookie inside. Um, we'll see if they get anything from Noah Spence. But the defensive line in particular, but the defense and just how they rebound and if they are, are, if they are actually – um, going to be as good on paper as as uh, on the field as we think they're going to be on paper. All right, Justin asks, which running backs will make the final roster? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, it's it's a crowded. It's always a crowded backfield, but a lot of it comes down to special teams. Um, you know, I mean, we know that Ronald Jones is going to be there. We know that Peyton Barber is going to be there. It would seem as if Jack Chris Rogers could be a little bit in jeopardy if they see him as just a special teams player. Um, you know, Charles Sims is back, um, although they have they have learned to navigate it without him. I think it's going to come down to there's a really good uh, young player in Sean Wilson that they not like an awful lot. He shows a lot of promise. Um, he can play special teams. He, he can also catch the football. It's very good hands. So I think you know there's a there's an outside chance that maybe a rookie makes his team. Uh, but but certainly the practice squad. So, um, but you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, here's here's how this works: is that you know, do you keep four or five running backs, and if you do, do you keep three or four tight ends? Do you keep five or six wide receivers? You can't do all of that. So a lot will depend on the other positions and just who they like, you know, better. You know, do you like your do you like your fifth running back better than your uh, your fifth receiver, and and so on. So. 
we'll see. But I, I think that um, I think the only locks are, are probably Jones and Barber, uh, and then it comes down to you know uh, either Rogers or Sims and or Rogers Sims and, and Wilson probably. All right, TL asks, how many wins do the Bucks need for Cutter and Light to keep their jobs past 2018? And is there any scenario where one stays and the other goes? <clears throat> There's always a scenario. I don't know that I can paint it just yet, but as far as wins go, um, you know, that's a tough question because, you know, how do you, in other words, how did those wins arrive? You know, um, you know, did you start 0-3? Then did, you know, Jameis take over and you won eight straight? And so you're, you know, you're eight and three, then you, you, you know, you get an injury and you lose a couple games and then he comes back and you win nine and you say, well, if not for the suspension and him missing two games because of an injury, we, you know, we, we would have easily been a playoff team. Everybody played great. There's the quarterback position, the backup position, let us down. Um, you know, let, we rode, we re- reload this thing with Jameis. We're good to go. He's doing all the things right on the off, uh, off the field. The offense looks great. We just, you know, didn't have our guy. Um, under that scenario, maybe nine wins gets Dirk Cutter back and Jason Light back and everybody back. Um, so I, I, I guess it, it really depends on how you get to those wins, but I think they need to have a winning season um, and, and preferably get in the playoffs. I mean, this is what this is about. They won nine games before, and then they won five games. So they got to be closer to nine games than they were to five, and, and they got to win enough games to hopefully get into the postseason because you've done the nine games and missed the playoffs. Now you have to try to get in the, in the tournament. So I think, I think the postseason is important. Certainly a winning season is important. Um, and as far as could one guy survive and one not, um, sure. I mean, if they like what Jason Light did and the personnel is there and, um, you know, maybe the, the, the coaching – cost them a few games for either decisions that are made on the field in crunch time or, you know, um, you know, offensive schemes break down and they turn it over to somebody else that does a better job. I mean, you know, you, you can paint any scenario. You could also do the opposite and say, you know, this is Jason Light's fifth year and, you know, they didn't make the playoffs and that alone should get him fired. So, uh, but we really like Dirk Cutter and what, what, you know, the way he handled the Winston, uh, you know, suspension. So there's a lot of ways without having a crystal ball that all is possible. I think, though, um, you know, for them to survive, they need to be focused on first a winning season and then, you know, hopeful and hope that that comes with enough wins to get them in the postseason. I always say a GM doesn't get a chance to hire a third head coach. Now, Light did right. not hire Lovey. Lovey was hired before Jason Light came on board. So Dirk, right. Dirk was his first hire. He could get a chance to hire a second one if they decide to get rid of Dirk. Could. Potentially, could potentially, and I'll, I'll say this too. And and even though Jason was a GM when they drafted him, you don't get a chance to draft a, another quarterback in the first round either. You're generally GMs are generally linked to one franchise guy. So if he falls down, you fall down. That's usually how that goes. Good point. All right, Rich asks. Will the Bucks ever revive the popular throwback uniform game? If it's just the helmet issue, could they put Bucko Bruce on the current helmet? I don't understand this issue. Somebody has to explain it to me. The NFL has said you got to wear the same helmets um, for safety reasons, I suppose. This makes no sense to me. I don't know why in an industry that has this, you know, 250, you know, $255 million per team revenues before they sell a ticket, they can't afford – two completely, you know, different sets of helmets for each player that's that's identical in its in its makeup and fit. 
Um, this makes no sense to me. But for one game, I guess um, some teams, you know, that have would have to have a different helmet, like the Bucks, feel that it's not cost effective or, um, you know, are prohibited to do so for the safety reason. It's never been clear to me because I, I think people, you know. I think this is one of the better days that they had when they were wearing the throwbacks and they were, you know, having the, you know, they, they would also, you know, play that up and have the throwback, uh, you know, sort of 70s songs and cheerleaders wearing the old swashbuckler uniforms. And the whole thing was kind of cool. Um, and, and believe it or not, I mean, everybody hated those uniforms when they wore them back in the day. They seem to love the creamsicles now, which is, which is ironic. But, um, but I hope they do it. And I, I don't know the answer. There are no plans that I'm aware of for the Bucks to wear the orange anytime soon. I'm cool with throwback uniforms, all except those Steeler Bumblebee ones. Oh, goodness. Those are awful. The Packers also had a weird combination with blue and, and something. That, yeah. Or maybe yeah. it was. Yeah, that yeah, was, was pretty bad, kinda, too. That's kind of strange, too. Yeah. All right, we're going to switch to baseball now. And rooting for UF asked, I asked this earlier in the season, so time for a do-over. In one word, describe the race season. Surprising. Um, I, I I don't think anybody could have well I don't say anybody somebody probably did predict that they would be two games over 500 but I certainly did not I I thought this team was headed to 100 losses there was talk about tanking um you know there was there was uh, the whole notion that you know the injuries they had at the, on the pitching staff early on this weird experiment with uh you know having opening day pitchers instead of starting pitchers that was supposed to be you know one out of five days and then became three out of five days and despite all that despite all the injuries and 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 everything they're sitting here at the all-star break two games over 500 and i that surprises the hell out of me i don't i'm not sure how they did it you've got young players mostly you got guys that are you know able to play multiple positions uh for the most part you have some veterans that quite frankly haven't you know, produced beyond, you know, Wilson Ramos, who's an all-star. I think C.J. Crone's been a great addition, obviously, with the 20 home runs. Um, but the whole thing with Kevin Cash and, and what they've attempted to do with the pitching uh, and, and you know, having traded away their closer and, and that sort of thing already during the season, it's very surprising to me that uh, – and another word would be resilient. You know, I, I think that – I think they've shown that in games with uh, – you know, and, and also how they started the season with with a terrible start. I think resilient is another is another thing that you could use adjective that you could use to describe them. All right, Sam asks if the team is pitching the t- so well this year with just two or three starters. How well do you think this team will do once Bonda, DeLeon, and Honeywell come back from Tommy John surgery? Could we potentially win a hundred games by twenty twenty? Um, potentially, sure. Uh, you know, uh, I mean. Look, a lot of there are two kinds of pitchers: those that have had Tommy John and those that haven't had it yet. It seems in the major leagues. So, you know, these days guys are coming back, um, and you know they're able to uh, to even get their velocity back. So, you know, presumably, I mean, those are prospects. We don't know what they'll do once they get in the big leagues and they have an extended period of time here. But we've seen with Nathan Eovaldi, and this guy's throwing upper nineties again already. Uh, and and seems to have some pretty good command. He's had a bunch of games where he went six innings without giving up a hit. So uh, they can't come back. They had big expectations for Honeywell. It was a shame what happened to him. Um, you know, Snell's still under their control for a while. I don't know what they'll ultimately do with Archer. Uh, Bonda was a guy that showed some promise. It's a very short sample size for him. Um, they've still got some other guys down in Durham that, that we'll probably see. So, yeah, I don't know about 2020, so we're talking about two years from now. Sure, I think it's, I think it's possible. I think that's probably the plan. 
All right, Jim asks, to help the race truly succeed in Tampa, don't you think it would be beneficial to pay the Tampa Yankees to go away? Perhaps trade spring training locations. Tampa needs to be a 100% raise. Really interesting question. I don't think Tampa or Florida will ever be 100% anything that, that actually lives here um, or, or plays here because that's not that's just not the state we live in. Um, you know, it, it has been something that's probably been annoying to the Rays. It, they surrendered Tampa in spring training, essentially, to the Yankees um, by moving to Port Charlotte. And, you know, for them it was about expanding markets, but – uh, you know, in the springtime, you have, you know, a lot of teams in this Tampa Bay area, and the Rays aren't one of them. I mean, you, you try to create some demand for your product that way. I get that, um, you know, and, and so, but, you know, when you look at the Tampa Bay area and you've got the Phillies in Clearwater and the Blue Jays in Dunedin and, you know, the Yankees drawing 10000 a day um, over, over that spot off down maybe I actually think that that would be a viable place, you know. Um, we've seen it in Kansas City. We've seen it in other cities where the football stadium is very close or, or near to where the baseball stadium is and they, they essentially share the same parking and you could do that um, if you can you know if you can park enough cars for uh, for Raymond James and have 65,000 people in there you can do it you know for a 28,000 seat baseball stadium and, and we know the access roads are are there um, you're used to you know to, to managing traffic although you know, doing it every day now. Right now, you do it on Sunday or a Monday night or a Thursday night. But you know, can you conceive of a rush hour? You know, when they're playing, you know, a five or six game homestand in that area. I'm not sure what's going to happen even in in I four in that stranglehold of a junction over there by Ybor City. Um, so traffic would be an issue. But they'll never see their. You'll. Ne- I don't think you'll see the Yankees. I mean, and 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 frankly, you know, they're. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today here and they bring they bring commerce to the area and it's you know it's people from new york um there's a lot of people that live here from new york obviously but they do bring a lot of fans and and so you know they're filling the hotels and the restaurants and from a tampa bay standpoint it's probably good from a raised fan standpoint probably not all right now we're going to move on to the lightning and anthony asks trade talks for eric carlson between ottawa and tampa bay have been very quiet since last week does this mean the deal's off I don't know that it's off, but it's certainly nothing. Nothing. Nothing seems hot right now. Now that that could be for a lot of reasons. Maybe people went on vacation. You know, um, maybe they just hit an impasse and they agreed to talk about it later. Maybe he's not going anyplace. Uh, they've they've looked at this, and you know, there comes a point where you just got to kind of stop working on it. I think if you if you can't if you just keep bumping your head against the wall, things change. Um, you know week to week, uh, you know, injuries occur. A lot of things can happen, but Steve, you would know better than me. I don't, I, I don't sense any, any momentum. There's enough ears to the ground on this deal that if it were, if it were hot right now, we would know it. So to me, it seems as if the lightning are preparing as they need to, to move on without getting Eric Carlson. And look, they didn't have him in the first place and they're just one of, you know, of a bunch of other teams that would like to have the player. It doesn't mean 
you know, I always get, I always think it's interesting when people say, oh my gosh, if Eric Carlson goes somewhere else, oh, the, the Lightning lost Eric Carlson, or they didn't get this guy. Look, it, you know, these guys can go a lot of places. You know, it's, it's, you're just one team. So um, usually it comes down to money. And, and in this case, it would come down to money and prospects or whatever uh, they would want back in return in a trade. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough deal because you got compensation if you wanted to sign him to an extension, the compensation of finding room on the salary cap for him, and then you have the compensation uh, that, that you would owe uh, his team in terms of uh, the trade. Well, the question really is, is you know, why hasn't the deal been done yet? And I, I think there's, there could be several reasons. One, for Tampa Bay to get this deal done, they probably have to get a third party involved to unload some salaries. Salary cap. It's yeah. been talked about whether Rangers were possibly New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But if you're Ottawa, you're more than likely going to trade him, especially with everything that's happened up there. It doesn't sound like he wants to resign there. So you might as well get something for him. But training camp doesn't start for almost two months from now. You're in no rush. What well, doesn't matter if you trade him today or the day before training camp starts. So without any rush, you can wait and see if you get a better deal. It sounds like Dallas yep. and Tampa Bay are the two biggest teams or hottest teams trying to get him, but why rush? I mean, if you don't have a deal that you're absolutely like, this is the best deal we're going to get, then there's no need to rush with that. And well, if, you you're, get if your you're Iserman best... or Dallas's GM, you can be patient too. Or you can decide to up yeah, your offer. You always get your best offer on the last day. I mean, that's yeah. you know, that's usually how that works. Yeah, there's and, and the other possibility is, and, and Ottawa has given Eric Carlson the you know opportunity to negotiate a longer term deal with the team. Is that mm-hmm. could be the holdup too? Maybe he's trying to decide you know where he may want to sign and if he wants to sign a long term deal, and that can affect the trade too. We don't know why the trade hasn't gone down. Um, you know, it was reported at one point it was a call to the league office. It turns out that didn't seem accurate or that call the league said no to the deal but there's just no urgency to it so I don't I don't think there's anything to read into it it doesn't sound like anybody's out or it doesn't sound like they have a deal they're willing to to make as of July 18th or 19th but come September 15th that's a whole different story yep no I I agree with uh, most of everything you just said there absolutely all right Mike asks who is the best sports franchise owner in Tampa Bay and why well, I mean, I think it's Jeffrey Vinnick, um, and I, I, I think results are, are, are the reason. Um, and, and, and also, just the culture he's built. You know, look, winning, winning is, is, you know, is the thing that you can always point to, and, and they're right now the winningest, uh, currently the winningest franchise of the most recent uh, team that's had a lot of success. Um, but beyond that, just, just the way – uh, that he has invested in his own product. And I'm not saying the Glazers have not. Um, and, and certainly, you know, Stuart Sternberg will see what he's willing to invest in a new stadium. Um, but in terms of, you know, his interest in the Tampa Bay area, um, what he's trying to do downtown, um, you know, the people he's hired, uh, you know, that are, you know, top of the line. I mean, obviously, Steve Eiserman is as good as any GM there is. Um, and, and just, you know, the, the interaction and the, and the feel that their fans have and the affinity they have for the whole experience, you know, from the time you park to you go into the arena to, you know, the, the, the play on the ice to uh, the, the, you know, the fan-friendly atmosphere, um, the pregame, all of it is, is, is really well done. And um, I, think that, I think the other teams are, 
are you know are looking up at, at at the lightning right now and um you know should hope that they can emulate some of that and capture it I agree with you I think Vinick is the, the best owner but I think Stuart Sternberg is very underrated as an owner and I know he gets you can complain about not spending on salaries, but the, the reality is is the way most sports teams work. The NFL can be the exception because they can practically print money, $255 million before they sell a ticket they each make. And you have to spend a certain right. amount of money but minimum in, yeah. towards player costs. But so in baseball, with the, the financial, with the financial inequities of baseball, Stuart Sternberg most likely, and we don't see the books, but most likely this team is being run, and it's it's basically breaking even each year. It may make a little bit one year, lose a little the next they're not they're not making a ton of money off the Rays franchise. Now, the value of the franchise goes up, which is the 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 value of owning a sports team. It's not the the I pull this much money out every year in profit of why you own a sports team, it's the values that go up. That what Stuart Sternberg has done from the time he took over the Rays and they were a laughstock of baseball to making the playoffs four out of six years and now rebuilding it, and, and you see with the organization, and, and now there's some hope in the minor leagues of this organization coming up that you think can help sustain the future. I think he's underrated as an owner. I, I know he gets a lot of crap because he doesn't live here, and would you like to have an owner that lived in town? Absolutely. I think that would be fantastic. But I think he gets, I think he gets a lot of bad rap that isn't, isn't deserved. You can, you can criticize some of the decisions he makes, and, and you know a couple years ago – you know, some of the personnel moves they made in the front office and in, in baseball ops once they lost Andrew Friedman and Joe Madden. You can criticize that, and that's fair. And, you know, maybe he made a good choice. Maybe he didn't on some of that. But I think, I think his ownership, when you look at where the Rays were to where they are now and to how they, they compete every year against the Yankees and Red Sox, I, I think, you know, he gets under, he's underrated as an owner. And I hate, I hate seeing how there's a, a big chunk of the fan base that can't stand him as an owner. And there's things to criticize, as with any franchise and owner, but I think he's underrated. Um, yeah, I can appreciate that. I'll say this, that, uh, you know, and it might just be as compared to, um, you know, the owner that he took over from, but they did as remarkable job of rebranding that product. Um, and they have, whether you, whether you like lipstick on the pig or not, they've bought a lot of lipstick for the drop. You know, they've done the best they can with what, with what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they, and they, and I find it I find it enjoyable to go now. Do I, is that where I want to watch a game? No, but you know it, it to me it works. They've made it work somehow to make the building um, okay to watch a game in. So you know, but with the uniforms, with uh, winning, you know, going to playoffs four out of six years, with making the World Series long before anybody expected them to. Um, you know, now the challenge is: can you you know can you with this huge negative? continue to be competitive in, in, in a league that, you know, is, is lopsided for revenues and especially in the American league East. And look, they've reinvented baseball once. Um, and I think that was their big edge, uh, with, with all the shifts and the analytics and the things that they did, m- much of which was money ball and, and taken from Billy Bean and the Oakland mm-hmm. A's and all that. Um, but now they're, you know, they, they continue to, you know, Freeman goes to the Dodgers. They, they've put their faith in, in young guys, uh, that uh, are trying to do things that haven't been done uh, traditionally, and it's working. And so I give him credit for allowing uh, the growth of his front office to, you know, be creative and try to level the playing field, which is, like I said, it's it's really tilted uh, towards the big market teams, especially in the ALE. So, yeah, I, I, I can appreciate everything you said there, and yet I don't think he's been the perfect donor, you know, um, 
I, I frankly also think that a lot of, of, of you know, we're going to find out what, you know, what his total investment will be. Mm-hmm. And that also will, will be a factor. You know, if you, you know, if you're just going to sit here and say, you know, $150 million, that's all I got for a $900 million stadium. I don't, I don't know that that's the definition of somebody who's committed to playing here. All right. Les asks, who do you think will win the British Open or now, as we call it, the Open Championship? Hmm. You know the guy, there, there's literally, what, two dozen guys, all age of 25 or younger, that could win the damn thing. Um, the guy that's almost a Hall of Famer that no one's, that, that you should be talking about because he's just won the last minute is, is Brooks Kepka. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at his resume. You, you know, you realize you win three major tournaments or, or, a, or a career Grand Slam, you're a Hall of Fame golfer. You know, and a lot of people are still, you know, we talk about Rory and we talk about Jordan Spieth and we talk about Dustin Johnson and all those guys are capable of doing it this week. Um, but why are we, you know, why aren't we talking about <laughs> Brooks Kepka in the same way? I mean, the guy, he's been phenomenal in majors and he's got, what, two of them already. So well, as we talked about at the U.S. Open, it was like, who? Yeah, I mean, right. He's, he's a, like, he's well, a yeah, great we, golfer, but no one knows who he is. And if you look at where he, I mean, he finishes, you know, pretty high on the money list. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does. It's not like he's, you know, okay, won a major and then went off the map and now he's back. I mean, he's he's had a steady career. So um, I don't know. I mean, the British Open is a, is a different. I mean, it's the golf is different there, right? Uh, and so, you know, who knows? Um, they don't really. It doesn't punish. Doesn't punish you if you if you're a long hitter, but. You know, you got to stay out of the high grass, and it's it's more of a, you know, it's more of a, a, a you know, I, I guess a shorter game. I was reading some quotes know? today, and Tiger Woods was saying that you can't use the driver very much at Carnoustie. Not at all. But no. Dustin Johnson said there's plenty of opportunity to use the driver. Where it, it's <laughs> it it plays different for different guys. It, it's it's yeah, it's different yeah. than most of it's, the course you see over here, and so it it, it plays differently. Yeah. But different guys approach it very differently. Yeah, I mean, if you you know if you can blast it like Dustin Johnson, I would never I would never keep the driver in the bag, even if I hit it in one of those, you know, cratered uh, sand traps. You know, if I'm sitting sitting down there three hundred something yards in one, um, I'm probably okay. But uh, but it is it is a different sort of tournament. I, I I have no clue. I'll be honest with you. From week to week, I don't think anybody can tell you who's going to win. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a there's about ten players. Or so, maybe twelve that you could say, okay, any of these guys can win, and you'd be probably close. But it is a it is a longer and longer list each year, and it's just so many players. And I don't know if it's good for golf. I mean, look, I know Tiger's good for golf, and he's over there. But I'm I'm still I'm back in the camp of Tiger's not going to win a tournament necessarily, <laughs> and he's damn sure not going to win a major. It just doesn't. Even though he's played well, the most remarkable thing about him is he's not gotten re-injured. Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. I never thought that he he would hold up physically the way he has this year. I didn't think that was possible, and and he's played pretty good golf. I mean, overall. So, um, but you know, this this was he's had as much success there as he has anywhere else, except for Augusta. So maybe this will be his week. Who knows? All right. On Wednesday morning, Darrell Revis announced his retirement from the NFL after eleven seasons. It got me to thinking. In their prime, in the last let's say fifteen twenty years, is there a player that was more dominant at their position than Darrell Revis? Wow, um, not many of them. I can tell you that he was head and you shoulders know, above all other cornerbacks in his prime. 
Yeah, he kind of. I mean, he said this in his farewell note um, today, as we as we taped this, that you know, he he kind of brought in the or uh, brought back the shutdown corner. I mean, that's that's who he was. You know, you take the guy with the best reputation on the field, and wherever he goes, you follow him. And Revis Island was, you know, was Rikers Island. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Hawaii. I mean, you were going to have a long day if he if he was in your if he was in your back pocket. Um, the guy was a technician and he was, I got to see him play one year when he, and he was coming off the ACL. So he wasn't Darrell Rivas that year completely. Um, but just watching the guy, uh, he, he was so calm, you know, uh, so many corners when the ball's in the air or, you know, during the play, they'll, they'll panic, um, they'll lose their technique. Um, you know, they won't get their head around. I mean, he just did everything you know, calmly, and he didn't even look like it was with a whole lot of effort sometimes, um, but he was a technician. And, you know, obviously his legs went, and towards the end of his career he wasn't he wasn't Darrell Rivas anymore. Um, but that guy was good. Now, who else dominated the game? Look, I, I would say Reggie White was in that category, you know, mm-hmm. when he was in his prime. I mean, I've seen, I've seen players, you know, be able to do that on a, on a defensive side where, you know, they, they seemed unblockable or they would – you know, make the big play when you needed it to be made. I think Ray Lewis in his prime was that guy. Yeah. You know, you were going to feel Ray Lewis wherever when the Ravens were humming in 2000. You know, Ray Lewis could take over games. So there, there's a handful of guys on defense that could do that. I could think but of the, even but, a Troy Palomalo. Yeah, sure, when he was healthy. Yeah, yeah when he was healthy. Mm-hmm. Or J.J. Watt to know, now maybe. J.J., before he got – before all the injuries, mm-hmm. you know, had, had some ability to do that. I mean – you know, um, I mean, we could we could probably you know do this for a while, bat them back and forth, and come up with ten or twelve names. But uh, I'll say this: as as a defensive back, you got to go to Deion Sanders to find somebody who could who could affect the game the way he did at corner. All right, so uh, you know, I, those were great questions. I can always feel like when I'm kind of I, I, my brain is hurting a little bit because you guys make me think, and I, I love the interaction. I love the questions. I hope we gave you some answers that uh, that make sense. And if we didn't, uh, tough luck because you asked us. Um, but we always want your question. You don't have to wait for a mailbag day, by the way. You can always in- interact with us and, and ask us questions. We'll answer them on any show because we have lots of time here on the podcast Monday through Friday, and you can always do that. Uh, we love your feedback. Please go to Twitter and uh, hit us up at SportsDayTB. That's at SportsDayTB. You can hit me up on Twitter at NFL Stroud or email me at rstroud at tampabay.com. As always, uh, this podcast is growing because of you, and we'd love for you guys to rate and review the podcast wherever you can, and you can find it almost anywhere, right, Steve? Yeah, anywhere. So iTunes or Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, just anywhere you get podcasts in the app. Do a search for Sports Day Tampa Bay. Hit the subscribe button. It downloads to your phone every day automatically, so you can listen to it whenever you want. If you like the post, hit like, or better yet, share it with a friend. Tell them about it. That helps us out a lot. Getting closer and closer to training camp. Going to be talking a lot about the Bucks in the coming days. The Rays will resume after the All-Star break. So we got lots to talk about going forward, and uh, maybe we'll even sneak Tom Jones in here this week. We'll see what he's up to. Maybe, maybe we'll, ask, we'll have you ask him if he wants to come on. What do you think, Steve? Sounds like a good idea. Oh, people so, love Tom Jones. They do. It's a look. It's it's Rick and Tom. It's, really, it's Tom a love hate relationship, really. They do love him. They don't want to admit they love him. They love to you hate. You know him. what I mean? They love to hate him. You, look, as long as he moves, you know, you to 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 some emotion. That's that's really what this is about. It makes you think, make you laugh, make you cry. That's what we're here for. So, 
Um, make sure you check us back, uh, check back with us uh, again tomorrow. And uh, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. For Steve Versnick, have a terrific Thursday, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.